In a world where you thought Supernova was the end, it's just the beginning. Yeah, I got three coffees today, so I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Thundercast podcast. This is going to be a very interesting episode because it's not structured. We don't have a notepad. We don't have anything in front of us. We're just going to wing it because we're so excited, so pumped for the release of Thunderbird 115 Supernova version. Before we go any further, let's introduce all our awesome hosts and guests and people that are going to talk throughout this episode. First of all, we got the awesome, wonderful, and majestic Jason. Hello, hello. Hope you're all doing great. Yeah. Uh, And second, we got, of course, the master of the universe, Ryan, (laughs) with us. I did come from my place in the sky to hang out with you guys today so yeah glad thank to be you here. for gracing us <laughs> with this with your lovely presence and radiating through these recording gears that we're using today yeah. uh so as as i said at the beginning of this episode we don't have a structure because we've been extremely busy in preparing everything for the release of the new thunderbird extended support release esr version 115 codename supernova so first of all, maybe Ryan, can you give us a TLDR of why Supernova, what's so important about 115, why we're so pumped? Supernova is probably the most consequential Thunderbird update since the first release. It's It really is, uh, as you heard in the last episode, just a rewrite of a lot of core pieces of Thunderbird that allow us to build upon, innovate upon, do more interesting things with. And there have been so many requests that I've received. I've been at Thunderbird now for a little over five years working on Thunderbird. And that's probably the longest I've actually been in a job. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the uh, the thing, I've heard so many great ideas for so many new features that, of course, we would love to do. But we have been hitting up against many, many just uh, barriers with how we've done things, with our code base, how things have been built. And so, thank God, you know, we have Alex here and and Jeff. I should call out Jeff, another member of the team. We're just going to rip a lot of this stuff out, rebuild it, and make it so that we can do this awesome stuff. And so, and so we did. And. I think that allows us now to do even cooler stuff in subsequent releases. And uh, I see it as kind of a reset for the Thunderbird project. Um, But we're not just going to be the best open source email client. We're supernova is the beginning of us being the best email client, period. I've always appreciated, you know, way before I was with Thunderbird, I've, I've always appreciated projects that don't use open source as a crutch or as like an excuse like well we're open source and so we can't accomplish as much or we're open source and so we can't 
you know, tackle this particular thing. It's interesting, like the word that you use, Ryan, like reset is a very good indication of what we're trying to do. But also, I think like the word reset outside for the people that are not being involved in the process and they don't know everything that we're doing might be a bit scared. So tangentially to that, I would like to ask a question to Jason, because Jason is our community manager, uh, social media manager, sorry. Uh, Jason is our social media manager, marketing manager is just the front facing of Thunderbird in the community. Every time there's a complaint or there's a praise or anyone has anything to say about Thunderbird goes through you and you get exposed to a lot of these things. So what is the general feeling of us coming out and say, Thunderbird, we need to rebuild it and we need to make it better and we need to rethink of the feature that we currently have, maintaining what we have but doing more things. And adjacent to that, what are the most requested things that have come out since you started interacting with the community? Like, are users very annoyed that Thunderbird for many years hasn't changed or are very pleased that Thunderbird for many years hasn't changed. What is the the general well, feeling? We can't we can't throw a blanket over it and just give one answer because yeah. um, there there are so and that's kind of the beauty of Thunderbird is there are so many different types of users from all walks of life, from all professions, from all you know operating systems. And I mean, if you look at, for example, the um, the the segment that we that we typically talk to in our newsletter um, tends to be a little bit a little bit older, and they started with Thunderbird like way back in the beginning, and they're not power users, right? And so they have a a, a sort of different. Uh, it hits them differently, you know. The, the changes affect them differently, and then you've got um, a lot of you know IT professionals and programmers and Linux enthusiasts who are very. Um, they're, they're very much power users and they're very invested in the software and invested in the changes. And, you know, they want to know everything under the hood and, you know, it's, it's, so those are the two extremes. And then there's everyone in the middle. Well, the beauty of what we've done is we have like the big spectrum and, uh, somehow like just using 115, using supernova, I realized like. If you're using it today and you upgrade and you you have the stuff set the way you want it and you've had it that way for 10 years, you probably won't even realize that things changed under the hood. So I'll hand it back to you, Jason. I, I thought okay. you were done. So, but, you know. Oh, I'm just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> so the range of feedback is... Um, pretty deep and i think a lot of a lot of people who are more invested in the in the open source community and the linux community who've been using thunderbird for a very long time they are afraid of change you know um and the <laughs> the thing that i keep telling people is you know i do sympathize with that because some people have been using thunderbird longer than most of us have had jobs or relationships and that is a very real, I'm not trying to like pump up Thunderbird as more important than that, but that's, that's some very real long-term muscle memory. And, you know, it's, it is in a way a relationship with the software, especially when it's powering, you know, all of your, 
various personal, professional communications. I would honestly say that the sentiment has been fearful but excited. <laughs> Nervous-sighted, if you will. Um, where the community is afraid that we're going to just throw like a webmail coat of paint over Thunderbird and simplify everything and, you know, go the same route as as Outlook has gone and Gmail has gone and ProtonMail. Um, and so what I have been emphasizing is, you know, so, kind of some messaging that you started with, Alex, was Thunderbird is going to act as a, a modernization, or I'm sorry, Supernova is is a modernization of Thunderbird, and it's going to have some elements that might appeal more to the webmail users, but it's also going to have, you know, the same amount of customization, if not even more, down the road for for power users and people who uh, who have been using that same wide, you know, horizontal layout, the table view. You can absolutely just keep that the same. We obviously don't want to want to leave people in the cold. That is the sentiment. It's it's people are excited about the change. I mean, I think that everyone acknowledges that Thunderbird needs to uh, look a little bit more modern, but you know, but they're a little bit afraid that um, it's going to look too modern and and remove all of the customization and flexibility that they have become used to. You don't have to have like a comprehensive list or anything, but if you have, re- if you can recall, like one of the most recurring or a bunch of the most recurring requests that users are really saying like, oh, I've been using Thunderbird for 20 years. I really wish you guys did this, or I really wish Thunderbird came with this. Exchange support is in there. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yes. that's high on the list. That's yeah. high on the list of, um, you know, the frequency of, of yeah. requests. And uh, another one that comes up all the time is not just Flatpak support, which we do have, mm-hmm. Um, but to catch people up, Flatpak Flatpak's a distribution method uh, on Linux, and it's sort of a universal way of packaging up software and distributing it to you know the dozens or hundreds of Linux distributions that are out there. And Thunderbird has been available on Flatpak, but now we have ownership of the Flatpak system, and so we're going to be um, you know packaging it and maintaining it. And one of the biggest requests alongside of that has been beta. Yeah. Beta Thunderbird versions in Flatpak so that uh, so that our Linux audience can, you know, test the crap out yeah. of it. Which is funny enough, we first released Flatpak beta <laughs> while we were like transitioning and taking ownership of the Flatpak uh, package. We first started releasing the beta version of Flatpak and now we're releasing Flatpak also for a stable ESR 115. So, hey, at least one desire has been fulfilled, right? Success. Like we're moving towards the right direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we're and we're marching towards a second. Yes. Uh, feature yeah. that is has been asked for a lot, and that is the ability to sync, mm-hmm. you know, important information between multiple Thunderbird installations. So. Yes. All right. So there's a lot to talk about regarding Thunderbird 115 Supernova. So why don't we jump? right into it so there's a lot to unpack here there are a lot of like uh back-end changes front-end changes layout design improvements new features polishing of old features there's just so much going on if you're very very interested about everything you can check the release notes they're so long i think those are the longest release notes we ever created but us internally we packed the 
major and most noticeable for us changes that are coming into Thunderbird 115. We're going to go through those. We're going to try to give a little bit of a background why we change it that way, explain the advantages of doing these type of changes, and maybe give you a glimpse of the future of what these changes will bring us and what will allow us to do even more in next releases. And what I'd like to also call out before we even jump into that uh, there are some things like sync that folks don't won't get yet. Uh, we are releasing everything that we thought was in a good stable place to release. And and Thunderbird sync, you know, due to the nature of what is being synced, um, we have to be absolutely sure that it is secure and reliable and stable. Um, so that's not, you know, we're not going to take any chances with releasing something like that when it's not 110% ready to go. Yeah. Across the year, there are so many things that we start working and are like probably like 70% there, 80% there. And we're so close to the ESR release and we have to make like a hard decision and say, no, this is not, it's not ready. It's kind of like kind of finished but not at the state that we feel comfortable to expose it to all our users. So we will postpone it. The annoying part for us, but also for the user, is that this yearly release schedule doesn't help us because if we miss that very tiny window, then users or us, we need to wait another year, another 12 months because before we can expose those new features, even if maybe that feature that we weren't able to ship in July is ready in September. But it is not good to uplift it to ESR because the code base changed too much. There's a little bit of divergence. We need to have at least a couple of cycles in beta for testing. So we have the objective in the future to switch to monthly releases and follow the Firefox monthly releases because it's it allows those users that want to be on a stable channel but not on a beta channel to get exposed faster to new features. Was Thunderbird ever on the same release cadence as Firefox? When Firefox was a yearly release. Uh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right on. Yeah. And that so at sense. some point they changed to monthly and, and Thunderbird was like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So maybe I'll talk, uh, I'll, maybe I'll say something real quick about Supernova. The name Supernova. First off, I think it's badass. Sounds cool. <laughs> and uh, it's this big cosmic event, you know, an explosion. New things forming in the universe. I think Alex said this before on an earlier episode. Like, as a result of that. I think it was a great metaphor for us taking this, like, this deep rewrite and just rebuilding on and just, like, we're going to blow up some stuff, but we're going to make something really beautiful out of it. Thinking about the reset that's happening and the revitalization and Supernova, the meaning behind Supernova... Uh, let's not forget that in addition to the actual software update of Supernova, there is a brand new Thunderbird logo. Oh, yeah. There are multiple pages on the website that are now brand new, reflecting the new look of, of the future Thunderbird site. So you can get a preview of that at Thunderbird.net. And and yeah, so it's like a triple threat. It's like everything is being mm-hmm. revitalized and reset yep. and improved. It's not a feature, but maybe we should start with the brand identity change the yes the, the new logo um thunderbird it's no yeah. longer a wig holding an envelope yeah uh, it's now 
maybe, maybe Alex, because I feel like you're going to have the most beautiful description of this. Maybe okay. tell us what the new Thunderbird logo is for folks who haven't seen it yet. Yeah. They're just listening and they, they want a mental picture. Sure. No, no pressure. No there. pressure it's at fine. all. You're just... no. So, uh, in order to build the new Thunderbird logo, we needed to take a look at the current Thunderbird logo and actually analyze it, what it is, the historical reason, how it was created originally. And the current Thunderbird logo, you know it, of course, is a, a bird, the Thunderbird. Uh, it's a North American bird that holds or en- like engulfs an envelope with its wings. The first question was, okay, we want to maintain that visual representation, we want to maintain that style, the primary colors, but is the envelope, is this still the correct design paradigm or visual paradigm for modern generation? There's this joke that is going around that some young people, we're going to sound so old right now, but some young people, they say, oh, cool, you just 3D printed a safe button when someone brings a floppy disk into a classroom or things like that. Because the younger generation, all these visual paradigms, the floppy disk as a save icon, the envelopes sending an email, they don't get visually exposed to this thing. Even the simple gesture of, if I tell you, just show me how you make a phone call, probably if you're 30 or older, you just hold your thumb to your ear and then your pinky to your mouth and you simulate an actual rotary phone (laughs) or things like that. Instead, young people, my nephew that is five years old, I asked him to do a phone call while playing and he grabbed like an iPhone. So he had these like claw hand on his face like he was doing a phone call. And this is like a very like broad and generic uh, simplification of what we're trying to do but that's like the basic question of what how do we want to maintain the identity of Thunderbird and rethink the visual paradigm that it currently carries so the first thing was we need a base to start we need something to give us a direction and direction was we are part of the Mozilla we are part of the Mozilla family MZLA it's part of the Mozilla foundation Thunderbird is literally built on top of Firefox. We are part of Firefox. Everything, all the improvements that are happening in Firefox, we inherit those improvements. So stepping away wasn't the right choice. It wasn't the right direction. So we literally started from the Firefox brand, the Firefox logo. It's beautiful. It's the beautiful red panda. A lot of people think it's a fox. It's not. It's a red panda that has a flaming... Uh, tail and engulfs what originally was the globe and it still is that type of paradigm so a little bit more simplified and we wanted to emulate this instead of the bird carrying or like engulfing and uh, being on top of the envelope we wanted the bird carrying the communication and carrying the messaging so we started playing with that. And of course, it's very hard to describe a logo uh, without showing it. But the direction that we found that worked very well was a bird that carries and envelopes and, and brings the communication to the user. And the communication, the visual paradigms that we found is that through the shapes of the wings and the flowing of the wings, we were able to create sort of speech bubble 
inside the bird and the speech bubble is also a visual representation of a flapping of an envelope. So we maintained the old visual representation of what Thunderbird is, modernized it, created some potential Easter eggs because users at first glance, they don't identify immediately the speech bubble inside, but after a few looks as like oh is that a speech bubble that's so cool that's the reaction that we wanted and if you put the new logo side by side with the firefox logo you can see it these are completely different but belong to the same family and that's what we wanted to achieve seriously side side by side firefox and the new thunderbird logo look incredible they just look incredible just together. kick ass yes yeah that's a representation of like visually showing we're a part of the Mozilla family and we share the same values. I think actually uh, the work that Jason's been doing around the new website and some of some of how do we describe what makes us different um, is important here because you know on the website we call out why what that means being part of the Mozilla family and what that means is that we. We don't have an agenda that's hidden where you're not the product. You're, you're using our software and that software is not taking advantage of you. We're not collecting personal data. We're not selling ads in your e- inbox. We're not taking your private conversations and training some AI off of it. We're, we are putting your privacy and security first, and that's a Mozilla value. And we're trying to make a better internet. We're trying to make a better computing experience. One that you don't have to worry about these things when you're when you're using Firefox or Thunderbird. And so to have them visually be related, hopefully folks can see at a glance, like these are part of the same family. I know that this is a trustworthy family of products. And in, in, a, in a remarkable bit of continuity, we should also point out that John Hicks, the designer of the original Thunderbird logo, was, was hired to do the refreshed, the brand new Thunderbird logo. So our first conversation, he said, I've been thinking about that logo from the moment I finished it. And I have <laughs> ideas for how to make it better. And, you know, he had been thinking about it for the last, what, 15, 20 years? God knows what. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. And he's just like, yes, I have some ideas. I'll show It's them. a very normal thing, too. Just, I finished this thing 20 years ago. I, I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. We fulfilled that, I feel dream. like that is the curse of every creative person. And yes, I think that both of you is. can identify with this. You finish something and you're like, that's just not quite what I was going yeah. for. Oh, I can make that so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but it turned out great. And I mean, it It, looks amazing to see it on the website today. Like you guys said earlier, Thunderbird.net. Like, obviously, you're not using Thunderbird. You're listening to this podcast. I'm kind of confused, but go and (laughs) go check out the website. Um, I mean, the ability is there to listen to this podcast in Thunderbird. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we should let's get to these features. Right, let's jump into this because this is going to be a juicy episode with a lot of things. Uh, We're going to follow everything that you're going to find in the What's New page, which will open automatically after you upgrade to Thunderbird 115. But if you're wondering, you can go into thunderbird.net slash 115 slash what's new. 
Um, there's going to be definitely a link in the description of this episode for everybody to consume. The first thing that you will find is a lovely slider to give you the overview of what visually at first glance changed. And Ryan, do you want to give us a quick overview of the majority of the things that are here? Sure thing. So the beauty of what we've done is when you open up Thunderbird 115, when you open up Supernova, you've got a, compared to 102, and we'll go through these each individually, but the overview is you'll notice that the title bar has grown. The top bar, which we call the unified toolbar, it's grown. It now includes a search field. It's got the app menu up there, which is the little hamburger menu that you know from Thunderbird. And it's completely customizable areas. So if you want to add additional components to it, if you want uh, your add-ons to show up there, uh, their icons, you can customize that space completely. But that's going to be a big visual change that people know immediately. Now, folks should know from 102, they should be familiar with the spaces toolbar, which is on the left. It's It allows you to switch between different activities within Thunderbird. So that's mail, address book, calendar, tasks, and chat. That's still there. It's got some more customizability. It's got it's it's improved, but it's it's basically the same paradigm, and, and folks will be familiar with that. What I think is like some of the biggest stuff is we've totally redesigned, and and like I said, Alex and and us are going to talk about, it. especially Alex though, because he played a big role in all of this. Um, there are some big changes just in all of the mail what we call the mail tab, mail activity. And uh, one of those is the folder pane is like totally different. Uh, it, may, it doesn't look totally different, mind you. It, it, it operates the same way that you would expect uh, the folder pane to operate. The And I don't think anybody will be like, I can't figure this out. It, it, it behaves very, very similarly. But now it's just much more streamlined. There's... Con- there's like better contextual clues that take up less screen real estate. Like the download button, it's not just like a get mail now. It's it's a cloud with an arrow that that means that's to signify download your messages. New messages composing, we've got a big shiny button for that. That's probably if you actually want to do something up there, that's probably what you want to do. Um, and then we've got a little uh, menu bar that will allow you to adjust how the folder pane behaves. My personal favorite is something that I don't, pretty sure it's not on by default, is um, we've got this interesting area where that you can turn on, which allows you to sort all your tags. So you tag an email, any folder, you turn this on, you can, you can just click on one of your tags and it will search throughout all your emails to find those emails that are tagged that way. And that's a new feature in 115. The other top level stuff, there's a new message list. When you download Thunderbird, you might not realize this is a new message list. It's more capable. It's so much more configurable, extensible. And 
if you click on the little how would you describe this icon alex uh, display options or like message list options yeah it should, context menu it, yeah. if you it's next to the quick filter button so if you click on this little new icon we have which is supposed to simulate the message list items right is that correct it's, that's correct <laughs> yes you can change between table view, which is what you're used to. It's kind of a Gmail-esque. It's what we've used forever. These individual lines that are vertic- or uh, horizontal. All the information is displayed horizontally. If you go from table view to card view, suddenly you've got these multi-line vertical. There's now the information can be displayed vertically, so... We'll have like who the email is from on the top line, when it came in, and then on the second line, the subject and some interaction points. And and it also will show like tags and other things if attachments if you have those there. The card view is something that is new to Thunderbird. We call it the card view because it's like a stack of kind of like a stack of cards that you can see. And um This is probably, to me, it's like one of the most consequential things in this release. You have to turn it on, and that's a good thing, because we want folks, we don't want to change Thunderbird for everybody who knows, has expectations for how Thunderbird is going to work. And frankly, we still have to learn a few things and implement them into the card view. But it's a very modern email experience it's tape it really i think allows you to at a glance understand an email better before you open it before you look at it before you see what's in it and i think it's also just a very beautiful experience so we'll talk more about the card view but that's the overview of that the message pane we now support contact avatars someone sends you a message do you have their avatar it will show up there. The contact area has more room to breathe. So you can just see who is this from. That has its own space at a glance. It's not cluttered together. The um, subject line now has also a little more room to breathe. And then the stuff you expect, tags, the controls, they're there. But they're much more cognizant of the space they use have either of you because i know that we're all uh using either beta or daily but have either of you in the last few weeks gone back to vanilla 102 always i as as a cursed uh engineer here i need to constantly check how 102 behaves against 115 or beta or daily so i use them in parallel pretty much every day was it jarring it's daunting. Like <laughs> daunting. Opening, Interesting. <laughs> opening 102 is like, oh my God, is janky. Even like the simplest thing that we rebuild the message list, it's pure HTML now, is not Zool tree emulation through C++, which was a nightmare to update. But now the simplest thing that we support smooth scrolling for the message list is oh my god it's just like perfect of course like we are gonna use a lot of superlative here we're gonna embellish everything because we worked so much and so hard on this but yes that's a very good point jason like 
after you upgrade to 115, use it for a couple of months or even just like a few weeks, get used to it and then open back 102 <laughs> and just tell us your reaction. Not that we're, you know, not that we're trying to, um, to, you know, speak badly about our own product here, but, uh, but it, it really emphasizes the dramatic leap forward that 115 is. It really does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's get into it because we still have like so much to talk about. So the first little thing that is not little because it took us like nine months, it was a labor of love uh, to produce was the new dynamic unified toolbar little bit of background here so uh thunderbird as always not always uh since version 3 thunderbird had toolbars because firefox uh created a toolbar and started having tabs the paradigm of firefox is very simple you have your website and then you have your browser toolbar and that browser toolbar is somewhat static it doesn't change based on the website you can customize it and change the buttons or do whatever you want but it's one browser one tab the same paradigm doesn't work for thunderbird because thunderbird has many different spaces the way we call it could be tabs, it could be sections, could be major areas, could be different pages, but the buttons or the toolbar that you have in your mail space, it's completely different from what you have in the calendar space or in the settings or in the task space because you need different actions, you need a different contextual uh, applied actions and all these extra things. So we try to use the Firefox implementation of having one toolbar, it didn't work. The solution that before that we tried was to every tab needs to have its own toolbar. So you can have a completely separate mail tab with its own toolbar, calendar tab with its own toolbar, and so on. The problem is that that created so much code duplication and so much just visual inconsistency because we have, by default, you already have seven tabs which is mail address book calendar task chat settings account settings those are like the default seven that everybody pretty much gets exposed to it it means that we have seven toolbars and it means that if we wanted to have the app menu in all those toolbars we needed to include that app menu seven times independently and every time you access a specific tab we need to update and refresh the buttons in the app menus to reflect what happened in the specific tab it's just insane it was like absolutely unsustainable that's why the visual inconsistencies that's why whenever you need to customize something you customize your mail tab then you close the customizer you switch to the calendar tab you open the customizer you close the customizer you switch to another tab you just no not sustainable and as i said the code duplication was impossible to maintain so the idea that came out was we want one single toolbar one element that is outside the context of all the tabs but is dynamic and changes the content its own content based on which tab or which space the user is using and when you enter the customization mode of the unified toolbar you can customize or the single toolbar and apply it to everything to all the spaces or switch 
dynamically to each space and customize it differently. Put buttons in a different position, create spacer having or not having the search bar. You can do whatever you want and the implementation is only one. The code is very, very simple. Well, not that simple, but much, much simpler than what we had before and is just fantastic. I'm, I'm so proud of the, the, the people that worked on these the front end team, uh, Martin is one, like basically was, he defined 99% of what needs to happen, defined the architecture, drove the project to completion. And it's, it's fantastic. It, it simplifies a lot of our code and makes things much, much better. A lot of our users really love to make the best use of their screen real estate. And this definitely does. You know, I was looking at 102 and how you can really have like, I don't know, for the stuff you guys did in the Unified Toolbar, in the past we've had like at least two different toolbars worth of stuff happening to get to accomplish the same thing. Now it's one toolbar. and And I think folks, especially those who care a lot about, like I said, screen real estate, Having it just fine-tuned to give them the most space for their content, I think you can do a lot here. I'm curious, Alex, all of the uh, that, that redundant duplicate code that you mentioned for the various toolbars, did that have any kind of performance impact? So it had um, maintainability impact. We found ourselves many, many times fixing something on the toolbar of the mail tab and then realizing oh it's actually also broken only in the task toolbar the same exact functionality but not in the calendar toolbar or things like that these these inconsistent so in terms of performance i would say i would say it's mostly like our team performance to fix something instead of going in one place and fixing it we had to go in 20 different places and just spend so much time but this is great. So that one change, not that it was an insignificant change, yeah. but that one change yields really more more productivity from the, the team, right? Yeah. Less time fixing stuff, more time building stuff. Exactly. And that's the underlying objective and an underlying goal that drove these rebuilding of a lot of sections. We need to make this thing modern, not just from a pure visual point of view, but from a code and architecture point of view, we cannot just keep running Thunderbird on code that was written 20 years ago. The modern paradigms and the modern architectural capabilities of just the languages that we're using improved so much, improved drastically just in the past five years. So we need to rebuild things to make things easier to build, easier to scale, and easier to maintain, and much, much more welcoming also for community members. That's all part of this initiative. One of the main complaints that potentially a lot of users will have is that the menu bar now, you can only show it underneath the uh, unified toolbar. That was the fastest and easier way to have a fully functional menu bar while we rebuild the unified toolbar from scratch or rebuild a new toolbar 
In the future, we're going to have options and ability to put it inside the Unify toolbar or above the Unify toolbar. Or if you don't care about the toolbar, you want to only have the menu bar, just hide everything and just keep the menu bar. All these extra customization options, they're going to come. We just didn't have time. We could have done it like super hacky and super quickly just to satisfy some users. But we really want to entice the user and try to gently force them to use the new paradigms and then of course improve upon those and 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 offer much more customization much more flexibility but if you feel like oh this is not finished it's not super polished you're missing some options it's because those things will come and we'll we just need a little bit more time moving on we got something that is hopefully people will notice but hopefully people will not notice. <laughs> That's a dualism that we really try to, to use is we did all new icons. We replaced all the icons. We redid our iconography from scratch. We built something like 350 icons and we're still going through those. The objective was to make icons that are Easily to easy to understand, easy to read, even for people that are not well versed in like design visual paradigms, but they just improve the visual experience without being in your face. A couple of things from 102, especially the old photon icons that were coming from Firefox, they were very chunky, very large, very in your face. The icon was the king of your experience. It was taking a lot your focus and was grabbing your focus. We want icons that if you need them, they're there to help you out. But if you don't, you can visually ignore them because they're not heavy and they're not hard to digest and they don't steal your attention. And this was the labor of love of Micah he did an amazing work. The icons are also density aware. So if you change your the size of the layout, they also scale. They're completely vector. So they shouldn't never be pixelated. They will adapt to your high DPI monitor or low DPI monitor. This still is an ongoing work, like replacing. We have so many icons and keep replacing, keep improving, keep fixing. But this is just the, the visual change that to me, had the best impact because he just gave a, a feeling of polish and a feeling of just care and beauty to the whole application that we didn't have before. Making these things distinguishable, making it so at a glance, you know, before you even read, begin to read what the folder is, you begin to know what it is. You know, like that's what we're talking about here. It's actually like as trivial as it sounds. It is a time-saving and exercise. It, it, what we that does allows you to just glance around the application and click things before your mind has had time to actually read the associated labels that are next to these icons. And I would argue that good icons eventually make the need for that those labels much less. That had a big impact for me, a big positive impact inside the app menu, the new app menu, mm -hmm. which yeah. we'll talk about. But yeah, that's where mm -hmm. I appreciate it the most. I'm so excited about these icons. I know <laughs> icons are kind of tricky because users will 
maybe notice them the first time or the second time and then they just blur into the background and you don't actively see them anymore so you spend as a designer you spend so much time in crafting the pixel perfect icon with the purpose of not being at the center of the attention just like fading away and not distracting the user so it's just you're you're working against yourself and against the visibility that you would like to give all the hours that you spend on these icons but it's they're just yeah phenomenal fantastic and we have so much control to color um change the color based on the state reacting to user interactions they're not png they're vector so we can dynamically change anything we can even animate them we have some icons that animate based on if you're syncing or downloading fetching we have all these things it's it's just it's just beautiful i'm i'm so i'm so happy about icons are things that excite me yeah um moving on we have some easy density control so if you've been using thunderbird i think since version 91 density variations will still available already available there but it was available through uh, a customization settings not exposed by default into like three sub menus in the app menu and the control that you had was very limited you could most likely if i remember correctly only change the line height of the message list and the folder pane and that's it nothing else was changing we spent so much time in making sure that our density variations would affect everything in the application the majority of the layout we're still not there yet there are some sections that are not entirely affected by density variations but we'll get there and density variation is very important because we live in a world where not a single person has the identical setup of another person in terms of monitor size, uh, high DPI, low DPI, monitor orientation, multi-monitor, single monitor, laptop, desktop. Like it's, it's infinite. Like there's no way that one size fits them all. And we wanted to allow users to quickly change that density to make it more compact, more relaxed, right one click away because it's very common to switch or drag your thunderbird application from your laptop monitor to your 4k monitor that's connected through thunderbird cable or anything other so or the other way around so maybe on your laptop because it's much more tight you need a compact density you need to fit more things and then you have your 4k monitor you just want to have a more relaxed layout and you want to just click it with or change it with one click we want the users to allow that and we want to expose more of these things that are maybe marginal and not used every day, but the use case is so common that we wanted to have something that it's easy, easily discoverable and easy to reach right away. It's good that we did the density work like for many, many reasons. I can only speak to how it touches my you know, experience. Uh, at least in detail. I know that we've re- received requests to improve the density options in the past, but you guys know that for my birthday, my wife got me a very large monitor. I haven't always used Thunderbird in the more compact density settings, normal or usually compact, because I was on a laptop and 
you know, I'm trying to preserve space, not let things didn't really have a lot of, you know, I'm like usually on a 13 or 14 inch laptop. So I know I'll have like a ton of breathing space on those. And then I get this machine and, uh, I, I think I saw you doing a screen share showing Thunderbird and you had it, you might've had it on, a, a the comfortable density setting, which is the one that's, that kind of utilizes the most space. And, uh, I was like, actually, you know what, on this monitor, like I can let stuff breathe a little bit. And, uh, and also like something about having the compact on this monitor, uh, it didn't work. Like it just like hurt my eyes or something. <laughs> I don't really know. I can't explain what, what it was, but when I let it breathe, it was a much more pleasant experience on this machine. And now I can't imagine using a different density setting, a, a more dense density setting on, on this monitor. And so, but it's so easy to change this stuff and experiment. It's like two seconds Add menu, change, everything changes. And uh, so congrats. Like, it seems like a trivial thing, but to have it applied across the entire application and behaving like it should and to have that be a one-click change that you can see instantly is just amazing. What's that? What's that, Jason? One fifteen is now live on the website. oh it happened it happened live it happened you're not panicking you're not panicking i'm panicking you're not it's fine it's all good yeah breathe now my real work can begin okay don't get distracted you're still doing the podcast (laughs) (laughs) close everything um yeah no it's it really changes your brain once you start using a more relaxed density even like the default like the, the middle option that is not as wide as the relaxed one but even that allows it gives you a different perception of how more breathing room helps you to better read and better differentiate the different rows and the different chunks of data that you have to consume and when you switch back to the compact it's just it's jarring it's the cognitive burden of it for me where like if i need to have all of that information in such a compact dense format then i i think i've i have a little bit of anxiety over that uh it changes your your flow a little bit when you have it more relaxed but the beauty of it all of course is that your mileage may vary and we're here for that we're here for that we updated the default settings of the density not the compact one the compact is identical to 102 but we updated the default settings to be slightly more relaxed. And little nerdy uh, tidbit here, we're using the power of three. The compact density is everything three pixels, padding margin, default is six, relax is nine, 12, 15. We're using an incremental power of three variations to all our sizes. So in order to have a rule set and keep everything consistent, uh, the power three is, is, is pretty much is very widely used in design community because it gives you the flexibility to be very, very small and very, very large and all the steps in between and having like an incremental and easily to control 
uh, sizing. But yeah, little thing. Um, but the default uh, density is slightly larger than what it was in 102. It's literally two pixels larger than what it was in 102. Like the rows are two pixel just taller. That's the only change that we did. And I still get today complaints from users that they tell me that it's a waste of space because now on their monitor, they only see 16 messages instead of 20 because the rows are too tall. So <laughs> the human eye can physically focus on a two millimeters area. Which means that even if you have 20 rows all squished together and you can see 30,000 rows in your monitor, you will only be able to read only one row at a time. It doesn't matter how many you see in your monitor. It doesn't matter how much data, how much information you have in front of your eyes. You only can focus on what you read in that specific, very, very tiny focus area. So the perception that I'm not seeing everything that I want to see and I'm losing information is a wrong perception. It's not helping you. It's just giving you more anxiety because you're seeing too much that you cannot actually visually process. I, I talk a lot about contextual actions. When you are somewhere interacting with something in the application, what makes sense? What do we need to put there for you that you're going to actually like interact with. In the past Thunderbird, you know, we've we've had a problem where we would just say, we have no idea what the user is going to do. We're going to give them everything. All actions can be done anywhere from within the application. Uh, and uh, it turns out that when you actually look at the telemetry of this stuff, uh, people don't do, like there are literally parts of the, there are things that we display or did display that literally no one of 20 million users interacted with. And that's because it didn't make sense contextually. Beyond just the density settings, there are additional things you can do if you really want to go into a world of make it as compact as possible. But I would encourage folks first to try out each of these density settings, live with them for a couple of days, and see, am I less productive? Am I more productive? I would argue that, you know, this larger density setting on this monitor makes me more productive. Yeah, I heard that Jason was excited about the app menu. So I don't know if you want to give us your insights on this lovely update. Well, I mean, it was it was one of the one of the first it might have uh, landed in 114, actually beta 114, or if I'm not mistaken, 113 and 114. And I immediately noticed that I was able to just snap right to what I was looking for so much faster. And when you look at 102 right now, I think it's still this way, where the app menu, it has more options. It has, it takes another second or two to navigate to, to absorb. And then in addition to that, you've got multiple like nested subfolder menus that, that, you know, it's not as intuitive. It's, it's, and, and in addition to that, there's certain items on the app menu and in 102 that have just text and some have text and icons. And here it just looks so, uh, clean and uniform and having the density and font, font size right there 
just to change on the fly is is a huge, huge improvement for me because I, you know, I'm one of those people, right? I have a a 15 inch 1440p laptop, and then sometimes I go over to like a huge 1440p monitor, and so um, yeah, that's nice. But the app menu, it's it's another one of these things that on the surface might seem like not a big deal, but the more you use it, the more you appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I know I'm drinking the Kool Aid here, but I, of course, you know. yeah. in all my apps, I'm an app menu user. Um, I get so many people like use the menu bar, but to me, cognitively, <laughs> what developers and designers these the people producing apps put in the menu bar always seems much more structured, much more relevant than just like throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, into the menu bar where I have to like. Just like, I feel like it's a task. I'm like reading through and there are menus and sub menus, which we, we have that to an extent, but, but like, I feel like what we've chosen to put in the app menu is probably what you need if you feel like you need to go into a menu. The app menu is amazing. Yeah. Funny story. These work of the app menu is one of the first thing that we did right after 102. So we started this work in September and the work like the the initiative of this came out by i don't remember who i think it was micah or even myself i don't remember but we were using the app menu during one of like the front-end exploration and in one or two you open the app menu and there's this big like edit like copy paste and cut actions and someone asked a question like why are these there like, who in his right mind selects something in an email, then goes back to the app menu, clicks and clicks, like, copy or cut, when you have the contextual right-click, the contextual keyboard-accessible copy, the keyboard-accessible menu bar, the keyboard... Like, you have, like, so many entry points. Okay, retort. Those people <laughs> exist. It's the same people... I love you, Mom. I hope you never listen to this podcast... It's the same people who will type Gmail into a browser search bar to go to mm-hmm. gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. They learned it that way at some true, point, true. Yeah, and then yeah, it yeah. just stuck, and that's just the way they do yeah. things now. But yeah. I will say that this is one thing I had. Um, so we talked about it, Alex, and I don't remember if you were in the same meeting with me when we talked about when I followed up on it, but I asked either where I'm going to drop some colleagues' names right now that folks in the podcast won't know. But I talked to uh, our amazing engineer, Jeff, and I talked to Andre, who is our infrastructure lead, and we we looked at the telemetry. Yeah, exactly. And these are not used at all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we were... That was, yeah. It was exactly. like the nail in the coffin. The- and this is why this is why telemetry is not a four letter word, folks. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. Certain, certain telemetry is, yeah. but not the yeah. kind that not anonymous the kind that we telemetry use. is like we collect data. We don't even know who, when, how. We just know how many times these things has been clicked. And that was the the second reaction. So we looked at the app menu, and the app menu one or two is literally the whole the entirety of the menu bar plus some extra actions just shuffled around without much logic and we asked ourselves how many people are actually using this is this useful and we looked at the heat map and the click on the majority of those buttons were fewer than 
an empty area on the toolbar that had nothing. So users were clicking more on something that wasn't clickable rather than those buttons. It was just insane. Like the yeah, just, on twenty million users, like three hundred clicks per month or something like that so which just is, accidental yeah i was clicks. gonna say which is probably like what is this like yeah you know, like, just uh yeah. just use it so it's like it yeah the data didn't reconcile so we had the intuition of this is not usable this is not discoverable but this is not helpful confirmation telemetry and then we had how do we fix this first we need to make since the app menu is out of context is the app menu is always outside it's not a mail tab menu it's not a calendar menu is the application menu needs to have contextually global actions things if you want to trigger the settings or the message filter or do the about dialogue or go in troubleshoot mode all these things that are not related specifically to a, a, a section or a space should be there things like change your density change your font size update the view of the whole application all these things that users they need to probably once in their lifetime they need to oh i need that how do i find it it's right there you don't need to just go spelunking into like twenty thousand sub menus and the other main objective of the app menu is like no more than two levels of indentation in the app menu just one click, slide, that's it. And also we decided the rule that was very difficult to achieve, but the rule that every single menu should have an icon. And that's something that you appreciate a lot, Jason, right? It is something that I really appreciate, but not as much as the next feature. This is one of those that got me super excited. I'm going to introduce it. How about that? And then you guys can get into the weeds because I can't do that. A few months ago, I finally started tapping into my favorite folders. I really started utilizing those because, uh, you know, I've got four different email accounts in Thunderbird, and I have a whole bunch of RSS feeds in Thunderbird, and I just wanted to be able to reference a few of my most active and favorite ones. My complaint, <laughs> I, I was disappointed to see that it was stuck down at the bottom of four different accounts and local folders and RSS feeds to where it was no longer glanceable at any density setting. And now you can sort your various folder modes. So there's there's sortable folder modes. So like if you want to display your tags in the in the folder pane, if you want to display your important folders, your favorite folders, move them up to the top, drag your tags down to the bottom. You can absolutely do that. And it is, it is a godsend for me because now it's, it's, I'm way too excited about this feature. Just the fact that I can at a glance view all of my favorite folders at the top of the folder pane is such a game changer for me. And I love it. It's logical. Yeah, it is logical. It's more, it it just makes more sense. It's such a tiny thing. Like, how difficult can it be to just this folder mode? I want it on top of this other one instead of I want to just change the order. How difficult could it be? It was insanely difficult to do with the old Zool 3 because the old Zool 3, as I said, is just generated from C code and we only could sort those things in the order that 
the user enables them. So if you wanted to change the order, you needed to just play Jenga and just disable some, enable some, enable them in the order correctly that you wanted them, and then good luck if you mess the order once you need to restart from scratch. It was just insane. But now since we rebuilt the folder pane and the folder list to be native elements, native HTML, CSS, and JavaScript element, we can benefit from all those paradigms of click and drag or right-click, open the context menu, move up, move down, all those things that implementing that feature was very, very easy. Reaching the point where implementing the feature was easy, it was so complicated. It took us so much time. So, Also something I wanted to mention, which I just actually did for the first time while you were talking, Alex, was hiding local folders. So if if you have no use for if that's clutter to you, then just yeah. hide just hide local folders. Yeah. Easy. I, I built that. <laughs> I've been working at Thunderbird for five years and I have never used my local folders <laughs> once. Because I don't well, thank use you send for, later. Thank you for building that. <laughs> it's just like these quality of life things that we now have in yeah. the application that make it just better to use yeah I'm, I'm very happy about this there's still like so many things that we want to implement there like my i also i love the unified folder but i hate that even if i have one account i have that drop down that shows me the single account inside the unified folder i just want my inbox draft sent and that's it i want the most minimalist thing so that's one of the goals that we will achieve like if the users want a a compact unified folder mode. I just just remove all the clutter. Just show me the folders, the unified folders that I want. Don't show me child folders. Don't show me the separated accounts. Those options we can achieve. We just like hide these, show me these, don't show me that. And all this flexibility, we achieved it after rebuilding this thing from scratch for like nine months. So it's just fantastic. Yes. We can move on on the cards view which, Ryan, you touched upon a little bit. Uh, You want to take this away? Sure. You know, folks, you aren't really going to understand Cards View by a description on a podcast. Like, I just believe in my heart of hearts that even if I, like, sit here and try to describe it as good as I can, that you're just maybe not going to get it until you go and look at it. But essentially, it's laying out the information about an email in the message list so that it's it, it stuff can be laid out vertically and it's supposed we're trying to offer you what you need in order to reduce cognitive burden and make it so you can quickly get to the messages that you want to and uh, if if the only way I could describe it is if you've used mobile apps you know they have a card view usually for the messages in your inbox. One thing that we haven't really talked about that is related to the card view, but it's also related to everything else we did that I don't even know if we call it out in the What's New page is above the cards view, maybe is where I'll start with mm-hmm. the, uh, what bar do we call that? Uh, the message list header. Okay, the message list header. That's new as well. So in this space above the message list, Now you can see how many messages are in the folder that you're viewing. You can trigger the quick filter bar, which now lives contextually in that bar. So the quick filter bar is if you're, if you only want to search in the folder that you're in, 
And then to the right of that is that thing that I was talking about, that message list menu button. Um, and did you did you say you had a name for it earlier, Alex? Uh, the message list options. Message list <laughs> yeah. options. It's here that you can do some things that in the past would have lived elsewhere. So for instance, sorting messages. So now it's really easy. Instead of clicking the little carrots like you're used to with the table view in the last release, when you're here, you can sort by date, by whether a message is starred, by the correspondent subject read, etc., etc., etc. From that message list options menu. I just want to call this out because this is also where you trigger the card view. So this new card view, you're going to have to go there. You're going to trigger it. That's how you're going to see the cards. So if you want to play with this feature, you're going to want to go there. So the card view itself, given the world that we live in and expectations for applications in general, but especially email applications, I think this brings us to what modern expectations are for how you, how you, how an email application will display your messages. And I will call out that I think that the message list is amazing. The card view version of the message list is amazing. Uh, but there's even more good stuff coming here. And I think some yeah. of that will hit the supernova release. So you won't have to wait a full year for that. We weren't able to finish everything that we want to have in these uh, in this new cards view um, because it took a fair amount of time to make it as performant as it was in one or two. Mm. But even like with like the, the the vertically stacked data and making sure that is adapts to the density, adapts to the font size, all these extra things. But also the extra flexibility that we added because we want to be the champions of customization. So also in this case. If you want the cards view, but you don't want a vertical layout, you want a cards view in a horizontal layout, because maybe you have your monitor that is like vertically oriented. So you want the cards mm. and the message pane at the bottom. You can have that type of combination. Having the cards view doesn't mean you have a vertical layout or a table view is not forced you to a horizontal layout. You can combine those the way you want. And this is just the first step towards more views options more layout option. We want a like a dynamic row options like Gmail. Gmail uses the like a sort of like horizontal, but doesn't use a table view. Some users want that. Some users want that type of horizontal layout a la Gmail without having like the table columns that are restrictive in some cases. And also for extension developers, we want to give easy entry points. This is just a template. If you want, you can create your custom HTML template and inject it into the message list and just print the data and visualize the data the way you want. We, we did so much work in the back end and in the background to make this happen and to make these as flexible as possible. So I'm, I'm a bit upset that we weren't able to finish it for 115, but yes, it's going to be the default soon for new profile. We're not going to update. If you have your set on the horizontal layout, we're not going to change your defaults, but for new users, new profile, this will be soon will be the default. We, we had some folks ask, they who had seen the, the mock-ups for what we hope to ship in 115. And they asked, uh, you know, like, what happened here? And, you know, we I responded to at least some of those comments and said, 
you know, we're shipping what what is stable and what's in a good place, you know, given that we have to ship today. You know, there's still more coming here. It will look like the mock-ups when we're done. Yeah, I mean that that mock-up it, it seems fairly infamous by now, just because it got it got so many people excited. Yeah, and and you know, I would say that it is still our our target. Yep, and we're gonna get we're gonna get there. I mean, I think a lot of that stuff will ship in this cycle, or at least it'll will be a lot closer to there in this cycle. And folks aren't used to that. They aren't used to getting changes to the interface during an ESR cycle because we haven't mm-hmm. really done that. Right, mm-hmm. Alex, is that a fair telling of the story? And yeah, exactly. So we're going to at least get some stuff back to, to folks. But ultimately, what I want folks to know is we are going to get there. So what yeah. you saw in those mockups, which for those of you who don't know about it, the thing to be excited about is we want to add the user avatars to the message list. We want to add a preview of the message we also did some like improvements to the address book um even if the majority of the focus was on the mail tab that's what you will see mostly changing we also tackled some calendar and address book improvements the address book improvements saw some uh, refinement in the accessibility easier uh workflow to edit uh and change and delete uh, all your data or like some uh, inputs from um, the, the the contact information before it was kind of weird but this is just to show that this is an iteration approach it's not that what you get in 115 is going to be the next 20 years of thunderbird like it was before like the the main criticism is like oh thunderbird every release is always the same it never changes that's not the case anymore we are going to improve things and iterate upon iterate upon iterate until we reach the perfection that we want. And once we reach the perfection, that's the moment where we take a step back and we look at it. Is this actually perfect or is not? But the most important thing that I'm extremely excited and extremely happy is that all the work that we did to use native HTML elements for the majority of the things that we were able to actually make it fully accessible and I'm using the fully accessible word, like a little bit loose. But before the message list, you couldn't interact with anything. You couldn't dynamically or easily change the sorting through the uh, message list header. You couldn't easily navigate with arrow keys or tab. You didn't have like a roving tab toolbar, uh, accessible toolbar for screen readers and keyboard navigation users. All these things were outside of our uh, capability because of the limitation of the Zool implementation of like Zool elements. Now we rebuilt everything in HTML and we can leverage the native accessibility tree of those elements. So we collaborated a lot and big shout out to all our uh, visually impaired communities, a lot of like um, users that use assistive technology, they actively participated in testing and giving feedback during the beta cycle. We improved the usability and accessibility of all the mail tab, the calendar tab and all the other sections. And it's just, it's just fantastic. It's, it's something that I, I live by the credo of accessibility features are just features, are not just something extra. We don't think about, oh, we're going to do it this way that is going to look nice. And maybe later we're going to think about accessibility and we're going to fix things to make it work with screen readers. No, 
our first approach is what are we going to do? Does this make sense for accessibility? Is this like accessible? Is this keyboard accessible, mouse accessible, screen reader accessible? That's the first thought that we have and we scrap ideas if they don't make sense from an accessible point of view. And we are very proud of this. We're not there yet. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but it's miles and miles ahead of what 102 was. Our team is very distributed, and so is our community. So we're all over the world. I have a really hard time, first off, remembering where people are, and then remembering what time it is, where that person is. In address book, you can add, a, you can have a contact in there. Uh, let's say I pulled up Alex's contact. And I have put his time zone in there. And what it does is, first off, it reminds me of where in the world he is, generally. And then, I know he's West Coast. Sorry to dox you there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Vancouver, Canada, come and find me. It's fine. <laughs> but the other thing is, uh, I also know what time it is there. Because I've added that time zone, it now tells me current time in his location. Which is mm -hmm. great because we have New Zealanders, we have people all over Europe, we have, we, you know, we have, we work with folks who are in Japan and other places in Asia. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and just e across the community, there are people all over the place. So remembering what time it is, where they are and what time it is can be difficult. You can put that in address book and it will be smart enough to tell you currently it's 3 p.m. on the West Coast. Great. Even if you do know where in the world they are, then we still have to do that little, yeah, exactly. you know, that and little calculation in our head to figure out what time it is there. Yeah. So, And hopefully you remember that calculation, which as Andre pointed out to me, a coworker, I did the calculation wrong. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Whoops. It, this is a perfect example of iterations because this little thing you might think, okay, it's useless for me because I will never keep accessing the address book to check their time zone. It's just a burden. I don't care. Yes, absolutely fair. But now we have the data. Now we have the dynamic information that will change and adapt based on your time zone and your computer time zone. So in the future, in the next iterations, when you set up a calendar meeting and you invite that person, if it's part of your address book, we will give you their availability, their nighttime preview in your calendar. If you're sending them an email and it's 3 a.m. for you, we will allow you to have an option like a checkbox, warn me if I'm sending a message or you want to chat with them and that contact is part of your address book, we're going to tell you like this account is probably sleeping or is not going to be reachable. So we're going to, small iteration, we achieve that little thing, oh, now you can set the time zone, cute, but it's not just for the benefit of the address book itself. It's just going to slowly get into the rest of the application. It's yep. a small improvement that builds a foundation for larger improvements. Exactly. And there's a lot. Yeah. There's Just to close the address book out, there's a lot you can do in here. You should look at it. If you're listening to this, go look at it. I know one of our colleagues puts notes in here because there's the ability to add notes. So he just puts what he knows about that person. He actually... Uh, runs our testing so 
he puts what everybody, what kind of computers everyone has. Are they on Mac OS? That's awesome. Are they on Linux? Are they on Windows? What version of Windows are they on? So he, so when he does the testing, he can look at the notes and be like, who do I need to talk to if I want to test on Windows 7? Oh, yeah, this person uses Windows 7, so I'm going to message them because he has that in the notes. Address book is probably like um, kind of like one of these sleeper features. Sleeper features. Yeah, where yeah. people don't really know how much power is there. But I encourage anybody listening to this. It does take some curation. It does take some time to fill in information. Maybe we'll find novel ways in the future to auto-pull that information as much as we can. But I would say that if you curate your address book, you'll get you'll get back value from that. I have to put on my marketing hat Go and, and my community hat for just it's a, a second. It's a beautiful hat. There are two yeah. hats, actually. You can't yeah, you guys can't see them, but there's two hats. One's fancy. One's, one's like a fedora and one's sort of a baseball cap, like you know, turned to the side. No, I'm kidding. No. Um, we've had a very long conversation about only some of the new features that are in this version of, of Thunderbird. And so much of this, if not all of this is only possible because of the generous donations of our users. This is what fuels us. This is what powers us. This is what enables us to take these, you know, more substantial leaps forward with, with the software and with the features. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. If you're not a donor, we have options. You can do a one-time donation if you want to just say, like, I love what you did in Supernova. You know, here's a little bit of money. We had this in the past, but it wasn't as easy to manage. We now have recurring donations on any schedule. So you can say, once a month, I want to give $5. Of course, that would be a very normal one. I believe we also have the ability now to say, once a year, I want to give 50 bucks or whatever. And then you have the ability to manage that and up it, down it, cancel it, whatever you need to do at any point. Uh, I, I talk about this quite a bit, Jason and Alex know, because it's so critical to what we do. It's only because of folks yeah. providing the support that we've been able to make all these great strides because we were able to go out and hire a lot of contributors, a lot of new people, um, and it, with skills that we didn't have in the community and get them in and get them working on Thunderbird to make it a better product. Uh So um, it all helps. It literally all helps. And none of that goes to any stakeholders or anything. That is going to Thunderbird in one shape or form. You know, like Mm -hmm. it all goes back into the product. But if you're you're already donating, thank you. If you're thinking about it, it's so helpful and it's going to go straight back into Thunderbird. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess we are kind of the end of this wild ride of new features and just awesome excited presentations of all the things that we built in the past year and we're very very excited for you to try it um jason yeah do you want to give us a list where people can follow updates and be up to speed with the craziness that is happening inside thunderbird absolutely there are so many places um, all the places. All the places. Links, of course, will be in the show notes for this. Uh, but blog.thunderbird.net is an obvious choice. We don't write there as frequently as, for example, we post on Mastodon, which is like multiple times per day. Uh, but you'll get all the all the really important juicy bits on the blog. And uh, we are also on the Fediverse. You can find us at uh, 
Mastod... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute at Mastodon.online. <laughs> Wait a minute. Thunderbird at Mastodon. Um, you can find us. You can find us on the Fediverse at Thunderbird at Mastodon.online. And uh, Twitter.com slash Moe's Thunderbird. It's really awkward. Moz Thunderbird? Yeah. Moz Moz Thunderbird. We should get our, our all of our tags like kind of unified yeah. over the next year. I mean, you can follow us on Twitter for the next couple of weeks, and then Twitter is not going to exist anymore. Yeah. But it's fine. It's okay. One of our uh, Fediverse followers had this to say on the topic of Twitter. I've said since 2014 that the inevitable conclusion of Twitter is to become email. In the end, I've started on the web with Thunderbird, and we'll die there. <laughs> Nice. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for taking the journey with us. Thunderbird, we are the Alpha and the Omega. (laughs) And now I know people have asked, uh, are we going to be on threads? Are we going to be on Blue Sky? And I'm looking into all of that. So uh, it just, you know, it um, requires a a lot of time and energy to be on all of these networks at once. Threads will be a part of the Fediverse, so... That's yeah. That's easy to incorporate. I was gonna say we could hold. We could hold until that rolls out to to allow people to follow us. Which you know, uh, I don't ever give Meta any kudos, but I'm glad that they are joining the Fediverse and that you know it'll be a part of of that. I think that's great. I wanted to end you know with a little glimpse into the future of the podcast and some stuff we're doing here. I know we've yeah. talked about that a little bit before, but maybe we should call that out. But also um, the future of Thunderbird. And now that we're on the other side of Supernova, just barely, we can talk a little bit about some of the other things that are going on in the Thunderverse. <laughs> and, the Thunderverse? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, huh. And t- I like this. We actually have a Thunderverse now, which is a statement... Yeah. In itself, which is, you know, amazing. More than just Thunderbird for desktop. The thing I wanted to talk about is um, here in the future, we're going to have some friends of the project on. You, I think we've talked about that a couple times or at least hinted. Yeah, we that. had Mike Conley on for episode two. And that's, yeah. yeah. And we're going to continue that talking to folks who who are outside of Mozilla, the Mozillaverse. There you go. And, uh, and talking to folks who are just working on projects that we love and, and are interested mm-hmm. in. In addition to that, we've talked about this before, but just to remind folks, Ketty, who is our Android, the maintainer of Canine Mail, which will become Thunderbird on Android, um, we're going to have him on and we're going to talk to him, which will be a very interesting conversation, mm-hmm. especially given that just today I was looking at how much Canine has changed since it became a part of the Thunderbird family, and it's immense. It's And, and it's all like... We get on the other side of these changes, and it's like, duh, like that was a great change. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to him about that. We're going to bring in folks who are working on things that are within the Thunderbird universe that are exciting and interesting that folks might not even suspect. I will share a little bit of a teaser in that uh, we do have some initiatives within the team to do things that require a server and, you know, that make email better by leveraging not just what you can run on your machine, but what we can do for you. This is breaking news, but Firefox Send is being reborn within the Thunderbird family. 
the we have um, a uh, way to schedule meetings with folks, a la many products that are out there, uh, <laughs> and make that more automated for our users. Um, and beyond that, uh, people should know this if they follow us, but maybe not everyone knows this. But we're hiring an iOS developer this year to lay the groundwork yes. for an iOS client. So there's so much going on within Thunderbird world. And so much of that is just freaking awesome. So we're going to try to bring as much here as we can and share insight just as, you know, especially Alex has allowed us to do into how that stuff is being made. And I think that that will require a more consistent uh, podcast release schedule than we've had, but we've kind of, we've been kind of feeling our way and admittedly, the supernova, everything leading up to the supernova release was pretty, you know, pretty intense. And so we didn't end. And I was moving across the world, 6,000 miles across the world. And so various hurdles came up and didn't just allow us. Just a little us, trip. Didn't <laughs> allow us to, just a little yeah, tiny sm- trip across small the Small trip down the, the grocery world. store. Yeah, that's fine. It took me about two weeks to finally kick the jet lag. But uh, <laughs> yep. yeah, so we're going we're gonna to have more, uh, more frequent podcast episodes, more guests, more information more awesome so stay tuned so if you thought supernova was the end oh it's just the beginning (laughs) it returns like see how everything circles back to the beginning like supernova explodes everything but the explosion creates new particles it creates new elements and gives life to a new cluster Mm. of stars yeah beautiful (laughs) cue the like trailer music like in a world where you thought Supernova was the end, it's just the beginning. And Jesse, if you cut any of this, I will be extremely upset. I just won't. Leave, I won't cut any of it. I promise. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> lovely. But yeah, uh, all right. I think it's time to conclude this lovely podcast. It was a pleasure to be the temporary host today. I hope I uh, made you justice, Jason. Yeah, you gave me a little, a little bit of breathing room. That was kind of a nice uh, change. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. As usual, all the links and all the things that we discussed about you can find in the description below. Make sure to subscribe to this lovely podcast because if you're listening and not subscribing, what the hell are you doing? You're missing out. This is just like absolutely unacceptable. But yeah. This is in every every major and minor podcast client. And if it's yes. not, you can just add the RSS feed, which is also yeah. available in the show notes. So, yeah, we'll see you all next time. And um, very, very much appreciate you taking this, you know, this ride with us, being on this adventure. And uh, I will say enjoy Supernova and keep the feedback coming. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. See you next time.